In about 2004, something magical happened, and I hope that most of you experienced it. It was on a Wednesday night on ABC, the show Lost premiered. Anybody watch Lost? Any Lost fans? Was anybody completely lost by Lost? Yeah, uh, Lost, Lost was a phenomenon. Uh, I was one of the people that got sucked in, one of the millions of people. A lot of my friends didn't get it, uh, but man, it was, it was awesome. You know, because all, the whole point of the show Lost was there was this mystery kind of unraveling before us, and there were these little clues being dropped throughout, and you got flashbacks and flash forwards, and there's like a smoke monster, and there's like a polar bear, and here's something for you. You know this? 4, 18, 15, 16, 23, 42. You got that? All right, if you don't get that, you were lost too, so it's okay, we're all on the same page. Uh, it was a great show, and one thing about that show was that it was the collision of television and the internet. I don't know if you remember this if you watched the show, but this was one of the first times where if you missed an episode, you could go download it on iTunes, and I did, and I watched it on my iPod video. It was a very tiny screen, but it was in color. And uh, what else? There was a podcast. There was the official Lost podcast. Um, it was a phenomenon. It swept the culture. And, and several years in, people were still watching it. And then at the very end, everyone was disappointed. Yes, that's what happened. Um, but it was a good show, and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I recommend that you watch it if you haven't. Every now and then, something like that takes our culture by storm, okay? Fads, trends, they just come out of nowhere. A few years ago, it was... Um, Frozen yogurt stores, yes, and places where all they sold was cupcakes. I don't know whose idea it was. Like, you know what? We should just only sell cupcakes and nothing else. And it was like, it blew up. There was cupcake stores and frozen yogurt places all everywhere, and now they're all mostly gone. I don't know. It just came, and it went like a storm. Uh, if you have kids uh, uh, below a certain age, you might remember there was a couple years ago, there was this 15 minutes where they just had to have a fidget spinner. Like, we got to get a fidget spinner or I'm going to die. And I need six of them, and I need them now, and I need expensive ones, and I need cheap ones, and I need to, uh, oh, I don't need them anymore. They're gone. Trends, fads, so the longer you live, the more you realize that it's true, uh, and they sweep the nation. But you know, the internet, social media, and stuff like that really helps that, but fads aren't new. There have been fads forever. If you look back at culture and history, I mean, there have been fashion trends and hairdos and times where all the men wore beards and then no one wore beards and then all the ladies wore certain kinds of shoes and then they didn't wear certain kinds of shoes or carried a certain kind of bag. Like, why does this happen? Um, I think there's a really simple reason why it happens. As humans, when we like something, we share it. Yeah. There's probably more to it than that, psychologically, like, especially when, like, important or popular people share things. We might be more likely to want to share it again because we want to associate with them. But on a very basic level, when we like something, we share it. You've experienced this with your friend who, when you're in a restaurant, and they get something, and they take a big bite, like, oh, man, you got to taste this. And then you have that one friend that just, like, puts it in your mouth or, like, drink from my glass, and maybe the guy's like, no, like, that's yours, and this is mine, and don't touch my food. But when we like something, we want to share it. It's just very important, and that's how good things get spread around. Um, That's like the essence of a fad or a trend, but there's another deeper level of that that really does take off, and it's this, a movement. Like a fad comes and goes, but a movement has the same features, I think, mostly, but it lasts. There have been some powerful movements in our history, democracy has been somewhat of a, a movement, see, and the idea that everyone in an area should have a voice in what we're doing. Like this, that's a big movement, and there's opinions and there's thoughts about that, but it spread because as people, uh, as people saw it and they saw like how they 
you know, how it worked. People shared it and people adopted it, adapted it to their cultures. There have been, uh, abolitionism was a movement. There were certain people that said slavery's wrong. And they weren't just willing to be like, you know, I think slavery's wrong, but it's cool if you guys want to keep doing it. No, they held like rallies and they put up posters and they gave speeches and they wrote pamphlets and books. And it was a movement and it changed the world. Here's the thing about, and the major difference between a fad and a movement. A fad will impact society, culture for a minute. A movement transforms people's lives. That's what happens with a movement. And so things like women's rights movements and civil rights Movements, And if you look back just through the decades in our recent history in America, three, four, five decades ago, this nation was a different place. But because some movements took on, some people liked it and they shared it and they weren't willing to sit down and tell everybody new because I loved it. And man, you got to try this. It transformed lives and it's transformed culture. And here's the thing that's so awesome. I think that the reason that we are all here today is because 2,000 years ago, a movement began that changed the world by transforming lives. It's Christianity. Specifically, the song we just sang, the name of Jesus, the power that God became a man, made himself human, walked the earth, taught, but most importantly, gave his own life and rose from the dead. Last week, I talked about bridges a little bit. We're in this series, Building Bridges, and the idea last week was that God built a bridge between him and us, and that was the whole deal. And like that bridge is the thing that spans our brokenness, it spans our sin, it spans our separation from us and God, and it gives us access back to him. It gives us the ability to re-enter his presence. And we talked last week a lot about grace. That bridge is almost, it's like made of grace. It's the fact that God looks at you and goes, yeah, you messed up. But I'm willing to forgive that. And so that was last week's bridge. Um, The thing about uh, when I look at the Bible and I see the people, especially in the New Testament of the Bible, but really all the whole Bible, people when they interact with God, is this, that when they hear about the love of God, they just got to share it. And when I look at the New Testament, especially when you start looking at the book of Acts, that's where the church began. Now you see these people and they hear about Jesus and they see the life changing that happens in other people's life and they accept that for their own selves and it changes their life. They begin to live, they're filled with his Holy Spirit. That's a big part of it. They begin to live the way that Jesus taught to live and it transforms their life. It begins to transform their marriages. It begins to transform their family life. It begins to transform their homes. It begins to transform their communities. And it started a movement and it took off and it's been spreading like wildfire throughout the world ever since, becoming the biggest thing to ever hit our planet, the name of Jesus, the bridge that God built. But here's the thing, the bridges that are involved in Christianity aren't just the one bridge that God builds. We get an awesome opportunity and responsibility. We get to build bridges too. That's what movements are about. I like this. It's transformed me. I need to do whatever it takes to let someone else know. Building bridges. Building bridges. Jesus' last instructions to his disciples, we can read them in Matthew chapter 28. And this is something, it's called the Great Commission. This is like when Jesus is like, listen, I'm setting up you with a purpose. This is what it is. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. A disciple is a follower 
or a learner is another word to kind of understand disciple. Go make people who are following and learning about me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's this moment where it's like, I've made a decision. I need to do something. And there's this like a beautiful moment God gives us in baptism. Go and tell them about me. Teach them about me. Baptize them about me. Verse 20, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and I will be with you to the very end of the age. That's, that's Jesus' great commission. One thing I love about our church family is that we openly, honestly, and actively want to be a church that's, a, that's for people on all different levels of their faith journey. So you might be here today and you're like, dude, I, I don't know. I don't know where I am with God. I don't know where I am with my faith. You might have a friend that you work with. I want you to know that that's a person that if they've got that mindset, this is a safe place for them. And that we're all in this thing together. We're all crossing this bridge at various levels. And maybe if you're in a place right now where you're like, I don't know where God is and all this, I want you to know this is what it's about. That God built a bridge so that we could share it. Um, today as we're continuing with this bridge building idea, we're going to talk about the privilege and the responsibility that comes with building bridges into other people's lives. And so... Um, if you've got a Bible today, you want to open it up. We also read it a little bit already, but if you want to go ahead and open it up, we're going to be in 2 Timothy today, uh, just a little short verse, and then I'm really going to be hopping all over the place looking at some different things that this guy Paul said, but 2 Timothy uh, was a book written to one of uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul's main kind of apprentices, one of his main disciples, and eventually he gets sent out and starts some churches himself, and as he writes some instructions to Timothy, uh, we, we get that in 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy 4, but let me back up a little bit and tell you about the author, because I, mean, I, I, I hate to an opportunity to tell you Paul's story. The Apostle Paul is this guy who, when we first find him in Scripture, he is persecuting Christians. He is a uh, religious terrorist. He is dragging Christians out of their homes, and he's executing them for their faith if they don't renounce Jesus. This is who Paul is. But Paul meets Jesus, and it transforms his life. And the coolest thing about the Paul story, I mean, yeah, he, he planted like dozens of churches. He ends up writing the majority of the New Testament. But to me, the, the coolest part about Paul's life is it is bona fide proof that God can use anybody. God can use anybody to build bridges. This dude was a bum. Like he was a screw up. He was angry. He was mad. Now, I want to say this about Paul. I think he believed he was doing the right thing. I think that Paul believed he was like being religiously, uh, you know, faithful and but in his but he missed the whole love component of God. That's another story. But when you see Paul's transformation, and you see what he does, and he becomes this missionary who travels the entire Mediterranean area, the northern area, up in Turkey and Greece. He ends up eventually in Rome. He goes all up and down uh, the area, north and south of Palestine. He casts all these disciples. He eventually writes all these letters that become part of our New Testament. I love to see this trans transformation take place in him. But we're gonna read in 2 Timothy, because Paul had a disciple named Timothy. And as he's teaching him in 2 Timothy 4.2, I think what we hear is a very clear uh, kind of command, instruction, expectation for what it means for us to build bridges with other people. And it starts like this. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This morning, we're going to pick apart that whole sentence. He starts out like this. Preach the word. What does it mean to build bridges into people's lives? I got a feeling the first sentence out of your mouth, and mine too, would not be, 
well, first we need to preach to them. It's very churchy, and especially because of whatever culture we've built around church, you, you picture, you know, some person on like a, a soapbox somewhere, and he's like, ah, right, right, he's angry for some reason, he's sweating, I think he's got his first two or three unbuttoned, you know, of his collar, like, he's, he's, yeah. that's not what preaching is, that's a, that's a form of preaching, maybe, it's a communication, but the word preach, it, it, it basically means to proclaim the truth of God, and you don't have to stand on a stage to do that. In fact, I would say the majority of great preaching doesn't happen from a stage. You proclaim the word of God through all kinds of things. You proclaim the word of God as you go through your day. Uh, you, you, can, you can do it as a, as a, as a stay-at-home mom. You can do it as a guy who works in a cubicle. You can do it as a barista or a mechanic. You can do it as someone who sells shoes and measures people's feet. Whatever it is you're doing, you can proclaim the word of God because God's given you a life. And if you've had the opportunity to be transformed by him, you can look back and say, that's who I used to be. This is who I am now. And when you tell somebody that story, you have preached the word of God. What's cool is if they're a person who don't, you, you know immediately, maybe you've known them for a long time, maybe you've known them your whole life, maybe they're a relative of yours, maybe you're married to them, and they're like, don't you get started to me about church, don't say the word Jesus, you don't have to use either of those words at the beginning. <laughs> you just say, my life is the sermon, look what God's done with me, preach the word. Preach the word. Another great leader in, in the early church was a guy named Peter. And uh, Peter and Paul are great because they're both kind of loudmouth jerks when we first meet them. And then they both get transformed and it's amazing what they do uh, for, for God. Uh, but Paul, Peter says it in a slightly different way. We're going to look at 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. He says the same basic thing in, in, in a slightly different way. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who ask you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, this is something that we are sorely missing on in modern Christianity. A lot of people don't have any clue why they put on their Facebook status Christian. I don't know. My grandma was a Christian. She took me to church. If I had to identify with a certain faith group, it'd be maybe Christian. Like, that's not what Christianity is. And so this passage says you need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Like, Why? What has happened in your life? What things do you believe or know that make you feel this way? So be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, It's not just yelling at people what you believe is true. Look at this last sentence. But do so, um, pause, look at it, with gentleness and, we don't ever do this, but we're going to say it right now. What is the last word? Respect. Oh, man. I don't. I got a stage, not a soapbox. We can be so disrespectful to people who are still in a different place on their faith journey than we are. Don't be jerks. That is never the calling of Jesus. Go, therefore, make disciples being jerks to everyone until you plunge them in submission into baptism. That is not the Great Commission. Gentleness and respect. We'll keep going. Um, Peter says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who... Uh, who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So first, we're not just trying to be heard. We need to make sense. Like, what do you think about God? Not like always what we feel. Give a reason. Like, what do you think? And so, you know what that means? It's really awesome. We get to spend our life learning. And maybe like, when you think back on school, you're just like, I hated school. 
well, I'm sorry, but life is school, okay? And part of it is that we have to understand like things. And the more we just ignore stuff, that's called, I mean, I'm just being using a dictionary, that's called ignorance. And we don't need to be ignorant in our faith. We need to be people who are like, you know what? That guy at church talks about Jesus raising from the dead. That sounds ridiculous. I've been to several funerals. That's never happened to me. Maybe I should understand a little bit about that. Christians really believe that? Um, give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Paul and Peter both have a lot of experience with this. Both of them have this background of kind of being abrasive, but then coming to the transition and having their life change. And, and um, as they matured, as a result, their messages began to be the foundation for what the first century church became. And here is the message of God. This is the, this is the sermon. This is the message. Preach the word. Preach what? Well, the primary truth is that God loves you. And he wants to know you, and he wants you to be known by him. Like, that's the primary truth. And you can begin there, and you can grow from there. So, I mean, we could talk about it a lot, but I, I think that the biggest thing that gets in our way when we think about preach the word is fear. Like, and I want to tell you this, honestly, I've been preaching now, I've been in like kind of ministry for 17 years. I preach almost every single week. That's almost 52 sermons a year. If you've ever had to write one sermon, a couple of you have, imagine writing 52 a year. Imagine standing here, this is the most ridiculous thing that you guys do every week. Listen, you all come in here and you sit in chairs and you just sit there and look at me. Why do you do that? I don't understand for the life of me why you keep coming back. It is terrifying. It is terrifying. Every single week be like, I hope I say something that makes sense. I hope that like next week somebody comes back. Like so believe me, when you say like I'm, I'm scared to talk about my faith, shut up, you know? Like take, like so when we get scared, I'm telling you, all I'm saying is like I'm not trying to down anybody. I'm just saying I get it. I get it. But you don't have to get on stage. This is the thing though. We're scared. This is what empowers me. It's not up to me to preach. And it's not up to you to preach. Listen to what happens to the disciples. This is in Matthew 10. I told you, we're flipping everywhere. Matthew chapter 10. The disciples have been told by Jesus, like, go and, and like, do big things for me. And they're terrified. They're like, well, what if we don't know what to say? And this is what we hear in Matthew 10, verse 19. Oh, I love the first sentence. He says, but when they arrest you, it's a great job interview. But when they arrest you, because they're going to, and then history plays out, and they do. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. That sounds crazy. Let me give you my testimony. It's true. I have sat so many times across the table from somebody who is heartbroken, dealing with all kinds of mess in their life, and I'm like, Lord, I have no idea why you called me to this table. I'm not Dr. Phil. I don't have any great advice or counseling techniques. I don't have the whole Bible memorized. But here's what I've learned to do. I stop in my mind and I pray, Lord, just help me to do what you need me to do right now. And time after time after time after that deep breath, quick prayer, my mind clears. Sometimes I find the wisest thing is to say nothing. Sometimes a scripture comes into my mind. Sometimes a wise word comes out. Sometimes I say, you know what, that's hard. Let's go find somebody else to talk with. You don't have to be scared. God is with you. Who could be against you? You'll know what to say. 
preach the word so we can build bridges. Uh, this is the second thing that Paul says. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. You guys know I'm a sports nut. I love sports. I love watching it. When I hear prepare and season, I think sports, okay? And so this weird football league started a couple weeks ago, but, you know, the Super Bowl was over, and this new, like, fake football started, but guess what I'm doing? I'm watching YouTube clips, like, who are these dudes? Like, trying to find out. Because I love the, the ongoing nature of some sports. Uh, and, and so there's many sports. Soccer, worldwide, dude, you, there's, always, there's always soccer to watch. Any athlete who is worth their salt is going to always be training. When you hear prepare, I want you to hear train, okay? Training, 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 training. Why? Well, they're not, they don't always have a game today. But when the time comes, they need to be in the best shape they can be in. And this is true with our spiritual life also. And this is what I was talking about earlier when we need to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. Preparation isn't always going to seminary. It's not sitting in some dungeon full of library books with a candle that's this long and you're reading in the middle of the night. Sometimes it has been, but it doesn't always have to be that. Preparing in season and out season is making your daily routine include that training thing. I was standing with a guy just yesterday in Winston-Salem, and I'll say it this way. He was a fluffy man, okay? And he was standing next to a guy who recently has lost like 180 pounds, okay? And the fluffy man says to the lost 180 pounds man, man, what's your secret? And the other guy said, dude, it's hard work. There's no secrets. (laughs) That's what spiritual journey is. Like you just wake up, you know, I went to church like Easter, so I'm probably good. No, like it's like daily. It's not even weekly, It's like wake up and try and then you fall on your face and then tomorrow you wake up and try again. Ask any athlete who's got gold medals how many races they lost. It's gonna be more than the ones they won unless you're Michael Phelps and then that's different. But you get to a level where you start winning more. But it starts with just getting up again and trying. And this again, what was last week's bridge, it's grace. God's like, I'm not trying to get you to get perfect. I just want you to live this life to the full. And I want you to do it for me. Prepare yourself in season and out of season. Uh, in a few weeks, we have a class coming up called Venture Be- Basics. It's one that we, we try to offer about once a semester. We haven't taken it, uh, offered it in a couple, uh, maybe about a year. Uh, but there are a handful of new faces with our church right now. I want to let you know about this class. I don't know the exact date. It's in March. I can't remember the exact date. But it's four weeks long. It's, it's basics about Christianity. We spend a week talking about who is God. And that could probably take a year, but we're going to been a week. We spend, uh, we spend some time talking about what is the Bible and is it reliable? We spend some time, like, who is Jesus and, like, how can we have any reasonable reason to think he rose from the dead? And then the fourth week is all about, like, what does it mean to live in this life that God gave us? Four weeks, and we're going to be offering it here at the YMCA. And so when you start seeing that class being available to kind of sign up for, please do. This is part of the training. This is part of an opportunity to grow. Uh, and I think anyone who is in here who has taken it would say, yeah, it's worth doing. So We'll move on. Here's the next phrase. So he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out season. Then he says, correct, rebuke, and encourage. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Uh, This is where I think sometimes Christians get a bad rap because we're quick to correct and rebuke. Maybe not so quick to encourage. But if I were going to be honest with someone that I really loved, there would have to be a moment where I say, listen, what you're doing is bad for you. How, how, how good of a parent would I be if I look at my son and I'm just like, you know what? Whatever makes you happy, just do that, even if it hurts you. 
the correct rebuke and encourage things come in different phases at different parts of the life. And you're intelligent people. You've had problems and you've needed to be corrected in the past. But we don't skip this part because sin breaks our relationship with God. And, and if we're going to love somebody, we have to speak into their life. We don't have to do it with a megaphone on a street corner. But we can do it in the context of a trusting relationship. That's a bridge. And that's where we get to come in their life and show them not always where they're wrong, that that has to happen, but also where we've gone wrong and how we've grown in that and how we're continuing to grow in that. But it also says encourage. I have a teacher who teaches, a mentor of mine, he's a teacher of mine, and he says this a lot. He says, we need to teach truth, but we need to always lead with love. Teach truth, but lead with love. And I meet with a lot of pastors all the time, and we're constantly like bouncing ideas. Like there's some people I'm dealing with that are dealing with this, and I've learned to ask this question. These are two questions I ask, actually. The first question I always ask is, in this scenario, what opportunity is there for grace? Because there is one. You might not have it within you to do it, but God's got it, and I think you can find it. And the other one is, how do I lead with love? What opportunity is there for grace? If you're an employer, a boss, a parent, have any authority anywhere in the world? Will you please ask these two questions before you speak to someone? What opportunity is there for grace? How do I lead with love? Then correct and encourage and rebuke and all that other stuff. Um, we could talk more about that. But it, building bridges is, is ultimately about creating an atmosphere where we can talk about the truth of God. And it's got to happen in the context of relationship. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Uh, correct, rebuke, encourage. And then the, the fourth one is this. It's just going to be shortly. Be patient. Be patient. This is actually what it says. It says, with great patience and careful instruction. I love that he says this. Um, because we all know, when you open your mouth to talk about your faith, we all need to be prepared that it might take some time. Like, by time, I mean it could take decades for some people's hearts to soften, to hear the thing that you're trying to say, or to be willing to listen. Or maybe they've been hurt so badly that they're not even willing to listen. With great patience and careful instruction. But don't let it stop you from trying. So maybe somebody in your life you need to talk to and tell them what God's done to transform your life. Maybe you need to take 10 steps back because your method hasn't worked and be like, what opportunity is there for grace? How do I lead with love? Hey, you just want to go watch a ball game? That'd be fun. I won't even bring my Bible. <laughs> Let me just show you through my life how things are different. It takes time. It takes patience. But don't give up. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Uh, a few weeks ago, I met with my friend Jeff. He is an engineer in town, and uh, he does a lot of building. And so I was like, I went to him. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm doing this sermon series about bridges. I don't know the first thing about bridges. You're an engineer. You build bridges? He's like, as a matter of fact, I do. I know a lot about bridges. So I sat with him. And I just asked him a bunch of questions. And as he was talking, uh, I was listening for what can I learn from a real engineer about real physical bridges? What can I learn about building bridges with people? What are some lessons I can learn there? He said two major things that I want to share with you this morning. The first one is this. He said, one mistake people make when they're trying, when they're building, really anything, bridges or anything, is that they rush the process. They don't take time to account for uh, the difficulties they might have, to see what the cost is going to be for the whole thing, the way to do it right, to do the research. We rush. And we end up with stuff like this. i got a picture of this. Maybe you uh, have had someone come work on your house, and they ended up with a driveway like that. You want that driveway at your house? No. Nobody wants that driveway. But we've all seen stuff like that. We're like, what? Who put this 
telephone pole in the middle of the sidewalk. Like, and we, we do these things because we got, got to get it done. We got to get it done cheaply. But my friend Jeff said one of the biggest mistakes engineers, and, not, and he, he works on big projects and they have big teams, but like us amateurs who think we're engineers, we go in and we make stuff that is not safe, stuff that's going to hurt somebody, and stuff that's inconvenient like this driveway. He said, we've got, what did Paul say? With great patience and careful instruction. One thing that our church does a lot is people come in here who have been hurt, not by politicians, not by drug lords, not by gang members, but by the church, by Christians. I have been guilty of hurting people and doing what I thought was right without patience or careful instruction, and I build a ridiculous driveway like this. And you all have friends, and I do too, who will never step into a door of a church again unless God's Holy Spirit severely moves them. I'm not here to beat us, you know, over the brow over it, but we can't be a place where that happens. Great patience, careful instruction. Why? Because we want to lead people to the truth of God, to his love, to their lives being transformed. The second thing I learned from my friend uh, Well, actually, let me read this passage. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. These are Peter's words again. It's about patience. He said, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There will be a day where God's like, time's up. Okay? He's got this moment in his mind. I don't know what it is. We're told in Scripture not to even try to figure it out. So that's not our job. But he's got immense patience for us as we work to build bridges with people. Second thing I learned from my friend. Okay. Uh, bridges, he said, un, uh, like contrary to what might be our like, uh, instinct, he said, bridges are not rigid structures. Bridges are built from multiple materials, concrete and steel and, and different fibers and uh, plastics and all kinds of stuff. And he said, for that to work, and also because of the extreme abuse that bridges take, high speeds and, uh, I mean, yeah, high speeds and the weight and the, the vibrations of the vehicles, wind and the severe cold and, and hot and rain and erosion, all these things. He said, bridges have to be built to be flexible. He said, if you step back and you look at bridges, especially larger ones, you can see a slight little swaying him sometimes, a little bounce in the road. And when he told me that, I was briefly terrified because I don't want bridges to be flexible. I want them to be very rigid. I want them to hold me up. But he said, no, no, no. If bridges are too rigid, they break. The structure isn't, doesn't support itself because the, the earth changes and things change. This is the thing I just it hit me, boom. As we're building bridges in people's lives, we've gotta be flexible. In fact, when we read the thoughts of Paul in 1 Corinthians, he tells them about the flexibility. Verses 19, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. To win the Jews, to those on the law, I become like one on the law, though I myself am not under the law. He's talking about the Jewish religious code here. So as to win those under the law, Verse 21, to those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those, to those not having the law, to the weak, I become weak, to win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. 
I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. It is no wonder that the message of Jesus took off like wildfire because as it went from community to community to culture to culture, from people group to people group, from language group to language group, the gospel, the message never changed, but the method adapted to the people. We gotta go to them. Now, I wanna make clear, we're not becoming like the world. We're not saying that things that are sinful are no longer sinful because I want to become, I want to, you know, relate to you. No. No, but people have to know, like, you know what? This person actually likes me for me. And that means I, I, I couldn't talk long enough to explain all the different ways that would play out in our lives because we all have different environments that we work in. If we're too rigid in who we are, I'm not saying we make compromises on what's sinful and what's holy. That's not at all what I'm saying. But if we, if we are too rigid in who we are as a person, I will never go there. I will never talk to them. That bridge will break. But being flexible enough to say, look, where are they? Let me find a common ground that we can stand on so that we can work together. I want to give us a challenge as we close today. Um, uh, two, two, two ideas. How do we build bridges with people in our life? This is sort of like a workshop moment, okay? So in your seat, uh, when you came in, there was a little piece of paper with five circles on it. You might want to pull that out. Uh, th- there are two things that have been helpful for me. As I moved to the city six years ago, and my goal was to help start a church and to be a part of a, a, a you know, vibrant community. Um, the first one was this. It's what I call, uh, I didn't make this up, but it's what, I, what I, I've learned to call it, is a missional route. In my life, there are things that I try to do regularly for Jesus, and I'm not talking about reading my Bible and pray. Like, that's another thing. But, like, there are areas that, I, like, this is the way it works. If you uh, travel a lot and you get gas on the way to town, um, you plan to get gas always on Monday. And you do it between 8.30 and 9. And your goal is to hope to meet the same cashier every single week. It's a route. It's missional. And I'm there because I hope to one day be able to build a bridge with that person. I, I meet out of a coffee house every, almost every day. Uh, Destiny's there with me almost every day. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is where I could meet. I could stay at my home. I could go to a different coffee house every day. I could mix it up. But no, I want to be in the same place because I want to meet the same people. I want to encounter the same baristas. I want to meet the same real estate agent who always meets at that table over there. I want to be there. Why? It's a missional route. The purpose of it is to come into contact with people regularly, not so that I could beat them with a Bible on the first day, but so that one day I'll say, hey, my name's Chris. What's yours? What's the gym that you go to? Go to the same time, the same place, every day. What's your schedule when you jog? What's your schedule when you go to work? Your mission route's not that hard because we're people, creatures of habit, and we already have them. But you do it for Jesus. You don't do it because it's easy. You see the short difference? And you might actually say, maybe I need to take a diversion just to meet people. You know what? I don't ever see anybody other than the office administrator at my office, okay, add a stop to your route this week and start doing it every week. That's missional route. And how do you, how do you make this work in real life? So the circles on your, uh, on your paper there are what I've learned to call circles of community. And we need to be intentional about this. Uh, some people recommend a number. I've just picked five. That you have, uh, and be, the, the image can be up here on the screen too, that you have five circles of the community, community. For you guys, two of them are easy. You probably have a family unit. That's number one. People that you live in the same house with, Okay roommate, spouse, kids, uh, maybe you live by yourself, but you got a next door neighbor you see every single day. This is your family unit. Your second one is your faith circle, okay? This is your community, and if you're a regular part of church, I want to remind you, like, this is something that you should do regularly, like, every week. Maybe, you know, but that's your faith group, but you also, have, there's other areas for that grace, faith area. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's uh, just a, a, a couple of guys or a couple of ladies you meet with uh, every now and then, whatever. This is your faith circle. Three other circles. The last three are yours to choose, 
okay? The last three are yours to choose. Maybe uh, it's your workplace. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's your neighborhood. You're in a neighborhood watch. You're part of an HOA. You do something. You're doing this regularly. This is your circle of community. Uh, maybe uh, it's the gym, or um, maybe you play softball. Maybe you're part of the PTA at your, your kid's school, whatever. And the challenge is, like today, you might only be able to come up with like one. But the challenge is to have two or three or maybe five circles. And the whole reason I'm there is because I want to shine light in the dark places. And I want to build bridges with people for Jesus. And they're not my projects. They're my community. They're my family. They're people I care about. They're people I see every day. Jesus transforms lives. It began a movement that has caught fire around the world. If you've seen God transform your life, please tell somebody. If you're in a place right now where you're like, Lord, I could use some transformation. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you need to learn more. That's fine. We've got a ton of people that you can talk to. We've got classes you can take. We've got some uh, phone calls you could have with some people that we would love to sit and have coffee and just learn. But men, take the time to take the steps. And once we accept the bridge that Jesus built, we learn to live there obediently in his love and his grace. We come part of this movement. It's transforming the world. And we get the opportunity to build bridges with others so that they can know and be known by God. I want to pray for us this morning. Let's pray.